Hey everybody, welcome to AM Live. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining me today. Um, well, let's talk about these congressional progressives. It took them months to uh, gather signatories, 30 signatories for a letter, just asking Biden politely to engage in negotiations with Russia to find a way for a uh, negotiated settlement to the Ukraine war. Not threatening anything, not threatening to withhold support for more military funding as Democrats have been unanimously approving, including every member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, including the squad and, uh, and Bernie Sanders as well. Um, just asking him to engage in diplomacy. And, uh, after g- gathering 30 signatures over the course of many months, and releasing that letter last Monday, it took them just 24 hours before they retracted it. And uh, it was quite the debacle. First, we had a clarification where Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the caucus, put out a statement clarifying that just to make sh- clear to everyone that d- we're not withholding, we're not going to w- uh, be uh, withholding any military spending. We'll keep voting for it. That wasn't enough. Uh, and so the next morning, Pramila Jayapal retracted the letter and claimed that staffers had rushed it out without proper vetting. Um, basically gathering people's, uh, signature months before and not checking with them that they still wanted to sign it. And many signatories like Jamie Raskin claimed that they wouldn't have signed it today, uh, if, uh, if they had been asked that they, they were, that conditions had changed and they were, now no longer comfortable with the letter that they signed. And um, so people like Jamie Raskin were welcoming the retraction of the letter that they signed. And he put out a statement basically saying that we have to fight Russia because it's a a center of anti-LGBTQ hatred. And so supporting the Ukraine proxy war, in his words, is anti-imperialist. So what does that say if... Democrats can't even stand behind a, a letter just asking politely for diplomacy, not attaching any conditions to it. It says that in Washington, there is in official Washington, uh, in Congress, there really is no peace wing at all. None. The war party is firmly in charge. There's a small faction of Republicans voting against military spending. But even there, I don't even see very loud calls for diplomacy. And this call for diplomacy from the Democrats was a basically a tacit acknowledgement that the Biden administration is doing nothing uh, on the diplomatic front as this proxy war continues and as it gets worse with Russia set to uh, deploy newly mobilized forces and increases its attacks on civilian infrastructure inside of Ukraine. And the fact that Democrats couldn't stand or the progressives couldn't stand behind it for uh, for longer than 24 hours shows what a different era we're in. Because at least in the past, there's always been at least a handful of Democrats willing to uh, be voices for peace. A small number. Dennis Kucinich comes to mind, uh, who actually I just interviewed uh, on my podcast, Pushback. But that's gone. That is just no more. And um, let's turn to one of the few people who didn't, throw his own letter under the bus who signed it is Ro Khanna, who's a Congress member of California. And, uh, but even Ro Khanna in defending the letter, I think he mischaracterized it. So let's listen to what he said on CNN. 
and said, so this has turned really into a messy own goal on the part of your caucus. What happened? Well, Bianna, let me just say what my position is, which matters. I have supported every package of giving aid to Ukraine, and I plan to support continuing to arm Ukraine. All the letter said is that we, at the same time that we stand with Ukraine, need to make sure that we're reducing the risk for nuclear war, that we're engaging in talks with the Russians to make sure that the conflict doesn't escalate. So Rokana says there that all the letter said was asking uh, to make sure that the conflict doesn't escalate uh, and, uh, and that we talk to Russia to ensure that. But that's actually not what the letter said. The letter called on Biden to make steps towards a negotiated settlement for peace. So actually to bring the war to an end. So Ro Khanna, uh, one of the few people who signed the letter to not renounce it fully, is still mischaracterizing it in a bid to pander to its critics. And it just shows how there's no space right now in Washington to advocate diplomacy. And look, the letter had many problems. It, first of all, could have pointed out that Biden has sabotaged diplomacy uh, so far. I mean, there's, we've talked about the reports of Boris Johnson going over to the, uh, going over the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, and telling Zelensky not to negotiate with Russia after Zelensky and, and Ukrainian officials had reached a tentative outline of a peace deal. The, the letter didn't mention that. And the letter sort of praised Biden for his bold leadership so far. And if you're not willing to acknowledge some of the facts that are out there, it's going to be difficult to make your case for diplomacy. And uh, we saw how difficult it was, given that they they didn't feel um, uh, confident enough in their stance to be able to stand by it when it came under attack from Warhawks in Washington, and they had to retract it. But meanwhile, the real uh, peace movement is happening in the streets, and it's happening with protesters confronting these progressive lawmakers to their face about their stances. And so here's uh, one protester in Minneapolis this week uh, calling out Ilhan Omar. You are supposed to be a progressive Democrat, anti-war, anti-war. 80 billion to Ukraine is not anti-war. Ukraine is killing its own citizens in the Donbass. So that's Ilhan Omar uh, telling an anti-war protester that we're uh, helping children and and we're helping uh, refugees. Um, and it's true that Russia's uh, war invasion has caused 
millions of refugees and any refugee deserves to be supported. Uh, what I think she leaves out and what this protester was trying to tell her was that actually people have been being killed in the Donbass region of Ukraine for the last eight years. And they've been, they've been made refugees too. And nobody in the U.S. cares about them. And in fact, the bipartisan policy has been to uh, arm Ukraine for that war that has killed something like 14,000 people over the last eight years. And it's, it was a, the Ukrainian refusal to abide by the Minsk Accords, which were supposed to end that war, was a major factor behind Russia's invasion in February, uh, especially after Ukraine escalated assaults on the Donbass population. And I've written about that, that if you look at the, the, uh, the mission of the OSCE, they reported a huge uptick in artillery attacks on the Donbass region in the days before Russia invaded. And so it's, uh, uh, Ilhan Omar's framing just completely ignores that, that there's been a war going on for eight years in Ukraine. And of course, which began with the U.S. back coup. And I, I don't think she's unaware of that. I, I you know, I, I'd be shocked if she wasn't aware that there's been a war going on there for eight years. So it's, um, that, that answer, her doubling down on that, uh, on her position there to me was pretty shocking. And here is, uh, somebody else confronting Barack Obama. Uh, just yesterday, I believe, in Michigan. 2014! You overthrew the legitimate Ukraine in 2014! Tell us about your plans for nuclear war with Russia! Stop provoking nuclear war with Russia! And that goes on uh, for a while. So uh, there are some people out there who are trying to at least call out these democratic politicians for their role in the crisis. And I do think that these moments have an impact. And of course, um, there's been a lot of attention paid to the affiliations of these protesters. I believe most of them, if not all come from the LaRouche movement. Uh, the, the LaRouche movement is not something that I particularly like or want anything to do with, but I, I don't um, disqualify protesters based on what group they're with. Uh, to me, it's about whether their cause is righteous or not, whether their facts are correct. And in this case, I think they're absolutely correct. And um, I think it's effective to bring uh, this to the faces of Democratic politicians, especially as they obviously feel no pressure at all to call for diplomacy. And they feel every pressure to cater to the uh, bipartisan war, war establishment in continuing to vote for these these war funding bills. And as long as we do, I just think that this conflict gets worse. All right, let's take some calls. Hey, how's it going? Hi there. So Gazprom, G-A-Z-P-R-O-M. That's the people that the United States are poised to replace as long as the war goes on. The, re the reason they don't want to use the phrasing, negotiate the end of the war, they want to say don't escalate. Because if you keep it on a low burn, it'll just keep going. And who, who, do they not buy, who do they buy from when they can't buy from Gazprom? They buy from the United States. And the, we can sell them oil and Germany, the chancellors and poised by a hundred billion in arms from the United States. It's just like, it's more profitable for gas. Like the reason 
we put up with our oil companies being so rich is so that we, you know, don't have to pay as much as Europeans pay for oil. But now we're looking at, and while oil is going up over here at the pump, shipping gas and oil to Europe for sale because the gas companies can make more selling it there than here. Like even from the point of view of letting them get rich, we've lost the script on even that, which was never a long-term, you know, solution in the first place. But in the United States, short-term things have a way of uh, going on indefinitely. Didn't Nixon say the gold standard revoking was going to be a, you know, short-term? But we just want it to go forever. It's about mm. forever war. Divide and conquer means you don't allow anyone to win. And you don't allow anyone to win by not allowing anyone to lose. You arm the losers. And when they start winning, you arm the other side over and over again. And then and this time, you don't actually arm... Russia, you just don't do anything. And when he starts winning, you do more. Right. Yeah. Forever burns. Yeah, burn. that's, that's right. I mean, that's, there's a term inside the White House called boiling the frog. Um, and that's what they're using to describe their approach to Russia. It's to, you know, boil the frog slowly. And, um, yeah. and we've we seen that, you know, I don't get the point of that. It's to never let it yeah. end. That's right. Yeah. All right, Jonathan, thank you for the call. Uh, Eric. Hello? Hi. Hi, how are you? Hey, I saw you hosting um, the Jimmy Dore show. That was, that was exciting. How would you like it? Was it <laughs> what, did it go as you planned? Yeah, there were a few technical glitches that I, I, you know, on my end. But once I got used to those, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Well, you know, Kurt, I just, I love uh, Kurt so much. I think it's so cool that he and Jimmy ended up um, hooking up together. And then it's so funny to see you guys all together because you know, Kurt, Kurt's, uh, you know, followed his career for a long time. But in any case, um, you know, it, it's funny. You're a funny guy, so I hope you really uh, lean into all of that. That's a good. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, thanks. So, yeah, I think Kurt is. I think Kurt's hilarious. He's so funny. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you know he's had to deal with a lot of flack as well. So I think it's made him really think about things. So um, especially, yes. I, I guess I'll 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 lead it, segue into that because I've been thinking a lot about okay, what kind of flack you know people face these days if you try to just try to think and reason through issues on the left. Um, and one of the things I noticed from the Ilhan Omar thing and I want to highlight, you know, get your um, opinion on is that um, the identity based, you know, defense, which is to say that she says, you know, literally explicitly, quite explicitly, um, unless you have my background, my particular background, my personal identity, my personal experience, my lived experience, um, you sh can't criticize this particular decision. And um, I think that's a problem because I think too often on the left, you know, we've gone with this idea that a person's, you know, subjective internal sense of themselves, you know, can be used in a defense, you know, as a, in a, in a rational argument. So I think a, a good parallel of this is um, ask, a, ask a Cuban, ask a Venezuelan, you know, what they think of the Maduro government, what they think. And it's like, well, okay, who am I asking? Am I asking a uh, uh, an expat, you know, who had to flee because of, you know, et cetera, you know, because they were a plantation or that type of thing. Um, 
And um, this idea, though, that it, the, the empire has, you know, these days it's really, you know, I, when I say the empire, like, you know, the State Department, the military industrial complex, uh, they've really exploited this sort of, you know, semi-wokeness, I guess you could call it. But for me, I guess the thing I wanted to zero in on is just the idea that on the left, it's we really have to keep, you know, it, it reason-based and just say that, you know, if you have a personal experience with an issue, you know, if you want to pull out the as a, hmm, you know, person and i can do that myself of course you know i'm i'm half filipino i'm gay i'm all these things right but what i'd like to be able to say is just as a reasonable point and um but anytime someone says you know as a you know this person in my mind mentally i'm just thinking to myself okay that gives you special knowledge of the issue whatever the issue is but at the same time that also gives you bias to the issue you know and those things canceling out we should be able to f focus on the reasonable thing but you know, the the big thing that's just, I think, squelching off this discussion, at least on the left, is this idea that, you know, you, you're, you're harming a vulnerable minority or that, you know, you, you shouldn't actually ever, ever be able to argue with somebody, you know, about this type of thing because it's just harmful or it's just um, invalidating or, you know, whatever you want to say. And it's like we have to just focus on what's true, I guess, in my opinion. So I don't know if you've had any thoughts on that. And um, Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Side. I mean... Yeah, I, I totally agree. If um, if Ilhan Omar was talking about something specifically to do with being a Somali refugee and somebody who hasn't had that experience was trying to tell her something about that, I, then I could understand her pulling that card because that is her lived experience and it's uniquely hers and she's been through it and others who haven't might not be able to understand it. But you can't pull that card to justify voting for any policy that you want, including something, a, a proxy war in Ukraine. Um, it's, it's totally disingenuous and yeah, um, the culture of the left has empowered that. And, you know, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, um, whenever I criticize Ilhan Omar publicly, like I, you know, I've done this week, I did a segment about her, uh, being protested on the Jimmy Dore show. And, um, when I do it, I actually feel bad. I, I feel uncomfortable because I know what kind of, um, uh, hate she's faced for being who she is for being a muslim uh woman of color in congress who wears hijab um and uh people you know like the flack she's taken from the pro-israel lobby especially is something that i find very abhorrent and i admire her courage in standing up to that i, I really do it's not easy being in her position um so criticizing her though for remember remember that performance that was great uh yeah yeah, it it was uh, when she when she questioned Elliot Abrams, right, um, in Congress, and basically called him a war criminal. That was that was also great. Um, so I feel bad criticizing her, but at the same time, you, you can't um, uh, hold back on valid criticism just because you have sympathy for someone, or just because they come from a uh, persecuted identity, or else we're not going to get anywhere on these really important issues, such as the Ukraine war. Sometimes, you know, I, I hold my tongue if I feel if it's not worth getting into, even if I disagree with someone like that. But on this one, this is so important to the world and to everyone. And it's such a betrayal of everything, I think, that progressives like Ilhan Omar stands for. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree that we can't be boxed in by, um, you know, people's identity to avoid talking about real issues. Aaron, have a great one. You too. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Uh, next caller is... 
Blaney. Blaney. Hi, Aaron. Uh, that's Blaney. Um, Blaney, hi. Hi. Uh, I, um, I, I was an art director living in France for 25 years, and because of the prosperity in Russia, especially in the aughts and tens, I had the opportunity to go there often. And um, albeit in cosmopolitan St. Petersburg, one of the things that I uh, had understood from Western propaganda was that there was a question of LGBTQ plus rights in, in Russia. So I decided to look into it myself. <clears throat> and literally the first time I was there, the first night, the first day, I asked where the gay club was. It was in downtown uh, St. Petersburg. And I went there and I began asking people, you know, what their experience was, which people found weird, I have to admit, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but they were bewildered. I, I mean, it, the the looks that I got from people were, look around you. Does this look... Um, like we're having a hard time. It was a raucous party and spilling out into the street in the middle of town. So I, I found Jamie Raskin's resorting to that trope particularly despicable um, because while there might be repression of, of certain peoples in certain places, um, it's something that's just sort of communicated without sufficient evidence, in my opinion. Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, abortion rights are under attack here. They're not, or, or to a much lesser extent, in Russia. Uh, so, so using that identity cover for something so um, principled as being <laughs> against war uh, was just particularly repulsive to me. And I wanted to share that experience with your with your audience. I I, I don't like well, it when I hear it. Yeah. Uh, when was that that that, that you uh, uh, saw this? Like, what um, was maybe my first trip was 2012 or 2013, and over the course. Of okay. Yeah. So so relative. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I didn't know that actually. Um, I I just kind of um, to be honest with you, I kind of just believed, I guess, the dominant narrative that there was this kind of crackdown on. LGBTQ uh, people inside uh, Russia. Now, I know Masha Gessen has, you know, she she had a she had to leave uh, Russia. I, I feel because it um, because of some persecution or or or, or her marriage wasn't um, going to be recognized. Like there's something like obviously there is some sort of a form of institutionalized bias, and um, you know Putin, like when he talks, is very he seems very. Um, staunchly orthodox christian so you know i'm sure there's yeah. some truth to but but the, but but as you say here in the u.s we we have our own institutional biases too and you know and and and, and bigotry uh and crackdowns on on people's rights like with abortion so the notion that first of all russia is unique and second of all that we that that's a reason to go to war against it uh, is just insanely offensive and it's such a cynical exploitation of you know of identity politics uh, as we were talking about before about Ilhan Omar to justify a, a a policy that has nothing to do with um you know uh, minority rights it has to do with that's a 
proxy war. Um, yeah, as a crutch I mean, to very to, cynical. As a crutch to march us into nuclear war, it's just uh, it's an unrelated topic. <laughs> yeah, you, you you could you could um, argue that you know LGBTQ rights, et cetera, should be should be upheld everywhere, but um, to to use this as an excuse for abandoning a position for a letter you signed was yeah. particularly <laughs> dishonest and, and and just weird, in my opinion. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, maybe and also, uh, to, and, and also, you know, I, and also, I haven't been to Ukraine, but I imagine it's not the beacon of plurality that Jamie Raskin makes it out to be. I mean, there there is, after all, the Azov Battalion and other and other far right forces that you know are actually that do play a significant role in in the country's political life uh, and, and military. And to pretend as if then you know Ukraine is this beacon of diversity and plurality, and to ignore that, I think, is pretty offensive too. Well, I had a good friend who was in Femen that moved to Paris. Uh, why did they go to Paris? Because they were they were um, r- routinely persecuted, <laughs> jailed. Um, the the the, uh, the notion of of protest or that or that women have power. You know, there's lots of criticisms you can make of current Femen, but the, the way that they exercised their power in the Ukraine. Are you familiar with what Femen is? Uh, Aaron, just before I... I'm not. No, actually, I'm not. It was a Ukrainian feminist movement that uh, was basically disbanded um, uh, by the security uh, services, but they, 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 were the, they were the template that Pussy Riot used later. They... they um, they would mostly protest topless. And why would they do this? Because they were non-persons. Dissent in in the Ukraine, if you were a man, could get you beaten and imprisoned. Um, Dissent in the Ukraine, if you were a woman, would just get you a cat call or a sly um, comment or, you know, they they weren't considered serious, uh, a serious threat until they started taking off their clothes then people noticed and um and uh, a lot of them had to flee uh so no <laughs> to to your point it was not a a a, a well th- that's really interesting um and uh it's makes it it's another reason why what Raskin said was so cynical. Wait, I, I and, couldn't uh, hear you. I'm sorry, Aaron. I, I, I had a phone call right in the middle of your response to whatever I was just saying. Oh, well, uh, I'm just saying, it's, I'm saying, oh, that's really fascinating. And I, I didn't know that. And uh, it just, again, it's uh, this, you know, um, David Sachs, who's the founder of Colin, he wrote an, <laughs> a, uh, an op-ed, said that basically Democrats and neocons are leading us into woke war three. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I personally try to avoid the, using the term woke, even though it's now it's so complex, only because it's it's been appropriated from black culture where woke meant something very different than what it's been turned into now. But, you know, the, the concept is really funny that basically Democrats using what's, you know, now uh, considered to be woke language to, to align with neocons to take us into world war. I mean, it's it's true. That's what's going on. And uh, it's disingenuous and very scary. Um, Thank you for the call, Blenny. 
My pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Okay, next call. Hello. There you go. Hi there. Hey, Aaron Mate. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm all right. No more. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. My name's Jabril. Jabril. Yeah. It's a pleasure to speak with you, man. I've been watching you online for, uh, you know, a few months now. Um, I- I've watched uh, your father, Gab War, for a long time now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I-, I just, I really like listening to you guys. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, man, I-, I think, oh, by the way, before I get to that point about Ilhan, um, are the useful idiots in D.C. today? Are you guys in D.C.? Uh, I'm not. I'm in L.A. No. right now. Uh, oh, wow. But okay. I don't know what Katie, I don't know where Katie is. Um, oh, oh, okay. I had heard yeah. through the grapevine you all were going to be here. And I was like, oh, man, let me let me run over and see. Because that's where I am. That's where I'm from. So. Okay, yeah. yeah. Actually, crazy coincidence. Uh, actually, born and, and raised my early years right where the Raskins are from, Tacoma Park, Maryland. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, which, anyway, which is a pretty progressive, like, which is a pretty progressive place, right? From oh my goodness, lefty. historically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's like uh, yeah. there's tree groups there, you know, for the trees that are like right. ginormous and you know hundreds of years old, and it's really hilly and green, and uh, yeah, I mean, progressives, cars with lots of bumper stickers on them, and there's protest, and you know, people are like ultra left. You know, like like all kinds of flags of every orientation. And you know what I mean? It's it's it, it, I mean, at least it was like I watched uh, you guys on on the gray zone. Uh, I think it was the other day. Right. And, and uh, I think Max Blumenthal was talking about how it was a bastion of like anti-nuclear uh, 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 community of, you know, um, uh, p- people against Reagan and you know war, anti-war, and you know what I mean. And uh, you all were du- discussing the whole Raskin thing and, and how he basically uh, betrayed his with his policies. Uh, you know, uh, betrayed this his son. Yeah, actually, laundry aujourd'hui. As, as sad right. and as tragic as that was, you know, um, what would his son stood for. I don't know. Have you seen? His 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 late son's uh, he did a he did a um, poem that he stood up and did at the at the Veg Fest 2017. Oh my gosh, you talk about powerful! It's only it's like five minutes long. I was floored, man. It, it I, you know, and you really have to be kind of witty to keep up, so you can slow it down or you know yeah. tap back for like wow. five seconds or something. You have to see it. It is a must. I will. I- I yes. totally will. I didn't. I I hadn't heard of that. Um, so yeah, Jamie Raskin's son. Um, his name was Tommy, right? Correct. I think. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So he he, he committed suicide. Um, right before January sixth. Yes. It was uh, December. Actually, it was New Year's Eve, twenty twenty. You got a terrible echo. Yeah, I know. We both do. Um, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, bro, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I want Ilhan. Ilhan. Oh, we never got to it. 
Well, I'm just worried about this echo. That's all. Okay. I think it's actually better now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. It's a bogus excuse. I'm so sorry, but it really is. It is not a, a valid. No, it, it's totally. No, she can't take that stance on it. It's bogus because what I want to say is, and please don't take this the wrong way. And, and, and you know what? You should not feel guilty about criticizing her because she's from war-torn Somalia, right? And here's the reason, okay? Uh, just basically, I want to allude to it because it's pretty much, you know, the argument, I mean, the, you know, uh, viewpoint of the last few callers and even, even from what you've stated uh, over the last few minutes. But, and like I said, please don't take this the wrong way, but your father, what he went through, in in uh in Hungary, right? Because of what he went through, his trauma there with Nazi the Nazis. If your father grew up to to be a Zionist pro-Israel uh uh supporter, you would take you would take issue with that. I mean you would, and that's of your own family, correct? Um, absolutely. And, and, that, and there are, of course, Zionist people who, uh, who will invoke the Holocaust to justify uh, yes. the oppression of Palestinians. And so are we supposed to just sit, like, sit back and let them do that because of their lived experience? I mean, right. Like, you raise a great point, And it's true. And so what she's doing is no different than what some Zionists do. And, uh, you know, um, using that uh, as if an anything, excuse. Yeah. If anything, going yeah. through, I mean, look, it, it, it's, it's really, um, the more I think about it, the more, the more offensive it is, what she did. It, yeah. it really is. And, yeah, it really and, is. And I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, go, no, finish your point. You, and you were not uncomfortable. Well, I'm, not unco- I, I'm, not, I'm not uncomfortable criticizing her because she's a refugee. But just because of the attack she faces from the right. You know? Oh, right. And so, and so I hate, you know, it's like, it's, it's, that's why, you know, given how, you know. The neocon uh, uh, Israelis, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the the Israel lobby and and its supporters mm-hmm. and, and the Republican Party really attacked her. It's actually members of her own party too. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. Debbie Wasserman Schultz and it's you know, yeah. So that's why with, that's Rashida Tlaib, yes, with the whole Katie yeah. Halper thing and Rashida Tlaib. Yeah, you're right, totally. Exactly. So that's why I just hesitate, uh, or yeah. I feel some. Pause. I get it. But I get to- it. You're but, hum- but, but the you're humanist. Totally- you're humanist, yeah. man. I, I dig it. I totally dig you and, and, and everybody from this community, man. Like we, and, and, and they're, you know, and the way they spoke out to a bomb, we, we're going to, they're going to look, I don't always, most of the time I feel disheartened and I'm sad and I get depressed, but right now I'm feeling strong and they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it. Like if, let me yep. bump into any of them, let me go to some of these rallies <laughs> or town halls or and yeah. I'm going to give it to them real good, you know? Like, like, you know, you'll find me online and something. There'll be a clip that people will be talking about. But um, the last thing was, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go. Um, uh, was that also with Ilhan, her vote? She has. It's not just the stance that she's taking. Like she's running for, um, running. Uh, uh you know, like there's an election. And she's running for office. She's voting. So it has an actual blood effect correct i mean do you get where i'm coming from hello uh absolutely she is uh voting for these policies and yes. w- and what's amazing 
and, and I forgot to mention this earlier, was back in March, before the, these votes for the you know, billions of dollars for, for Ukraine, mm -hmm. she put out a tweet saying that flooding Ukraine with weapons uh, yes. without accountability will, yes. is, will be likely disastrous. So she sounds exactly like because we don't know where they're protesters. going. We don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. She, it's so like she you said on Gray Zone from March. Yeah. What yeah. happened? Yeah. So and what you know when so you said she sounds. Well, exa I doubt she, she sounds exactly know. like. Yeah. She sounds. She sounds exactly like the protesters, who she's yeah. now denouncing. And, you know, and and that's what she did. I, I we forgot to mention this, but she also said that they were um, spreading Russian disinformation. Yeah. With the tactic of 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 uh, neoliberals and neocons so it's it's just so which pathetic. is a nonsensical like i mean you're yeah. anti-war so that automatically by default you're pro uh putin or you're pro you know uh, yeah. uh some autocrat but and and then and then the other thing is you said you doubt that she doesn't know about 2014 over there in ukraine well she may not know, but the way she it's, it's the context, her true, her truth may not be true because yeah. the, 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 her, her caucus, her, the Democrats, please, they, you know, like, like most folks say that they sat her down. They, I mean, the whole quote unquote squad, you know, that they, they got told what to do basically. You know, they groom them. They, it's like brainwashing. How could she take a stance in March, like you described, and then by here in October, it's completely flipped. Like, what did they do to them? What did they do to them? AOS, all of them, the whole, Jayapal, all of them, every one of them, you know? Yep, yeah. What did they do to them? It's a great question. <laughs> it's a great question. Jubal, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Brady. Up, Mr. Mate. Um, hopefully this isn't too far off topic, but um, not necessarily a progressive, but someone who considers himself intellectual father, Weinstein, I recently found out was blocking Whitney Webb on Twitter because she totally blew the lid on his yo what up my bad dude i was on the phone was, <laughs> oh no we're having some serious nah. audio issues don't we? you know that it's oh, like yeah. calling oh, oh no yeah. we have the previous caller stolen all right i'm gonna try to seriously you came up that yeah. All right, I'm gonna try. You go to Brady. I'm gonna have to go to the next oh, call no. and see if that fixes it. Yeah, let me. Yeah. Well, we'll try it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, hopefully that does it. <laughs> okay. okay, yeah, that happens sometimes where the previous caller is still on. It's a glitch, and anyway, thanks for bearing with us. All right, Sean, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, you didn't want to switch back to Brady, or is it okay if I just go, go ahead. ahead? It's fine, Brett. I'll I'll bring Brady back in. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Um, look, I, just before I get on to my main point, I, I wanted to do a bit of like a comparison between uh, progressives over in, uh, in the United States and in Germany at the moment. But like one thing I just don't get about the progressives over in the United States, you know, it comes at no cost to them to take a stand and actually be in opposition because like the rest of the blue dog Democrats and the Republicans are going to 
They're going to vote for this shit anyway. They're going to vote for the military-industrial complex anyway. They just have no idea how to be in opposition. But it's been like that since, you know, forced the vote. So, yeah, you guys are screwed over there with your progressives. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just wanted just to do a bit of a comparison with the, with the German Greens over here. I don't know if you got a load of this, but they had, like, their AGM the other day and um, – you know, when they were elected, they're part of the government, of course, over here. And when they were elected last year, uh, one of their platforms was like, you know, anti-war, no no weapons in conflict areas. That's part of the current coalition agree- agreement at the AGM the other day. You know, I, I don't know if it was Annalena Baerbock, the foreign minister. She justified like this uh, promise to send weapons to Saudi Arabia, quote, so that German kids can have a future. I mean, how disgusting is that? Uh, they've, they're, they're basically, uh, you know, celebrating the fact that the Nord Stream pipeline was blown up. And I personally, like I, I used to be part of the Greens in Australia and like, not, I don't find it so such a good thing that the Nord Stream pipeline exists, but like, I do care that my taxpayer dollars went into building that and just having it blown up and having then my government not even care about it. And in fact, openly celebrate with right-wing anti-German Eurosceptic Polish colleagues in in um, in Washington about it is just disgusting, and that's that's something they bragged about at their AGM the other day that they were giving their Polish colleagues a high five in the elevator after, like, basically saying they didn't even care about the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. But I mean, that's Germany. I mean, we're basically op- occupied by the United States anyway. Angela Merkel didn't care back in the day when. After Snowden's releases, you know, it came out that her mobile phone was hacked. She didn't do anything about that. Um, but no. the thing that to me most is like hypocrisy has become meaningless today. Like hypocrisy, you know, if I if I'm in a debate with someone and someone points out anything that I say that's hypocritical, you know, that kind of that lame that that sort of stops me in my tracks and it makes me think about what I'm saying. And um, I think. The amount of fear-mongering over here has made people think that, like, Russia is is just around the corner, can invade at any time, even though, like, Schrodinger-esque, it's going to lose on the battlefield, but it could invade at any time. Um, it's, it's weak one day and strong the next. Um, yep. It just shows that, like, fear-mongering, if you think that, like, there's, a, there's a, an imminent threat, well, yeah, you know, you do kind of stop caring about whether your actions are hypocritical or not, and you just sort of think about survival, I guess. Um, and that's what NATO does. You know, NATO has just NATO can only justify its continued existence by you know frothing people up into a fear driven further because you know since 1991, why why has NATO continued to exist? Um, and I just ask myself. Yes, uh- when, when will the yeah, boy have um, too, wolf too often? Yes. Uh, Richard Sakwa, who wrote a great book called Frontline Ukraine, uh, which I think is one of the best books for understanding the, the whole Ukraine issue. Uh, he has a, a saying where he says that NATO exists to manage the threats created by its own existence. Yeah, totally. And I yeah. think that's, I think it's, I think it's very wise. And, um, and actually, and I just interviewed him for pushback, which I'll be releasing this week.
but yeah. Um, look, I agree with everything you're saying, and it's amazing. You know, on, on Nord Stream, if this had been a you know uh, a U.S. pipeline attacked, uh, or you know, and, and if they actually knew that Russia had done an attack like this, we'd be talking about this every single day. This is a major act of international terrorism to blow up mm. energy, like a multi-billion-dollar energy infrastructure project. But because it went against Russia, and because I think our side likely did it. It's not just we don't talk about it anymore. No one cares. It's extraordinary. Well, I mean, the, you know, German politicians are just so spineless because nobody. It, it would be it would be so weird. Like if Olaf Scholz just said one day, "Oh, look, we're not in favor of that XL pipeline from the tar sands in Alberta down to you know." It's, it's like nobody. You the, the people over here would think he's lost his mind if he said that. But like somehow we just allow. You know, Trump was against Nord Stream. We just allow them to say, you know, what you're doing is is wrong. Uh, Biden saying, yeah, we will put an end to it. Like nobody, nobody stands up to that. It's so yeah. sympathetic. Yeah. But back when uh, back when the U.S. passed sanctions against Nord Stream two, uh, the the foreign minister of Germany and I think it was Austria put out a, a statement saying that you know the the our energy infrastructure is a matter is a sovereign decision of Europe, not the U.S. That was a few years ago. Well, there's no one saying that in Europe anymore. They've completely accepted being a a, a subordinate um, of the U.S. and there's just no challenge to it, uh, except for a very small. There are some ger- some some German lawmakers who do stand up to it, but they're in you know so, they're in the so minority. Have, think, so yes, is maybe the only one that I'm sort of yeah. seeing at the moment who really says something. If, even like some of the old classic Cold Warriors from uh, Die Linke, like Gregor Gysi, yeah. even they've they've been kind, you know sort of somewhat co-opted. Yeah, but the, the, on occasion mm. he still says the right things. So mm. yeah, mm. Well, the only things to get out on the right. street. That's what I'm doing tomorrow, protesting. So. Nice, nice, nice. Very nice. Uh, Sean, thank you for the call. No drama. Thanks very much, Aaron. Okay, I'll bring Brady back in. Okay, so you want to there talk about yes. progressives. I think uh, it'd just be worth bringing up the situation with Nancy Pelosi and her husband right now. Uh, as you're aware, you might be aware, Hillary Clinton was using the moment as an opportunity to suggest that any conspiracy theories lead to violence inevitably and um, this kind of crazy shit happening. So this is being used to villainize, you know, uh, free speech activists, stuff like that. Anyone that questions the mainstream narrative is going to be villainized by this situation. But Elon Musk, after, uh, you know, taking over Twitter, responded to Hillary Clinton's tweet with a very interesting article. And I'm wondering if you had, of course, there's a lot of speculation in this article. It's a very conspiracy theory laden article. So this is like super conspiracy theory stuff that Elon Musk uh, responded to Hillary Clinton's tweet with. And so, you know, he's, it's nice to see that Twitter might be a space that is supportive of that kind of context. That's kind of like a, a little silver lining, um, even though Elon himself makes for a really pathetic progressive um, <clears throat> in some ways, you know. But I'm wondering if uh, 
you had any context on that situation or um eric yeah i didn't see uh any of that i um i think it's funny that hillary clinton is calling out conspiracy theories when she paid for the most damaging conspiracy theory of the last you know, few years, which is the conspiracy theory that Trump is a Russian <laughs> asset and engaged in a deep conspiracy. Yeah. So, um, you know, her hypocrisy is, uh, is staggering. And yeah, you know, I, I haven't followed any, all this stuff to do with Elon Musk too closely. I haven't had time, but, um, I just hope that actually he follows through on his, on his commitment, his stated commitment to free speech. And we'll see, we'll see if he actually yes. does. Um, it's, it's, thank you, Brady, for the call. People thinking. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay, Jeff. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, uh, just two things very quickly uh, at the beginning. One is um, remind me not to take a phone call after hanging up on calling. <laughs> and um, secondly, <laughs> um, it's the Brazilian election today. And obviously, I want to wish all the best to Lula. Because the, uh, uh, the the last poll I saw was quite frightening. It had Bolsonaro on something like 49 point something and Lula on 50 point something. That's way too close for my liking. Um, but on the uh, you know the, the topic tonight, um, I saw your um, your interview on the Jimmy Dore show the other day with Lev Galinkin. I thought he was a very uh, very interesting, very uh, knowledgeable guy, and I you know I recommend that interview to uh, listeners if they haven't seen it. The only thing that confused me a little bit is right at the beginning, um, when you asked him how Kiev came to rely on uh, these neo-Nazi militias, he says that um, uh, the Ukrainian army had about 6,000 active troops in 2014. And he said that that was uh, smaller or roughly the same size as the New Jersey National Guard. So I looked this up online, and according to mainstream sources, uh, they claim that Ukraine, you know, between 2014 and 2022, had a standing army of active troops around 100,000 to 200,000. So I haven't been able to reconcile those two things in my head, and I'm wondering maybe if he was referring to something else or I misunderstood or something. It's worth having a look back just at the very beginning of that interview because that claim confused me a little bit because I looked it up okay, because yeah. I remember I, hearing uh, before that Ukraine had one of the largest standing armies in Europe. So that, that was why I looked it up. Right. Um, yeah, I will, <clears throat> yeah, I will uh, look back at what he said. What I do know is that Ukraine suffered a lot of defections back in 2014. Um, and maybe that's what he was referring yeah. to, that there was possibly, maybe he meant 6,000 defections um, because oh, a lot of people yeah. actually went over to the... A lot of people actually went over to the rebel side uh, because that was their um, ethnicity that they were now being asked to fight is you know to fight ethnic Russians who were rising up against the U.S. backed coup. And so maybe that's what he was referring to. I don't know, but but I'll go back and check it out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Also about Ilhan Omar. Thank you. I was um, I was just going to say I, I don't want to. Um, I, f I feel a bit guilty saying this as well because I think she was like my favorite member of the squad. But she doesn't have a completely spotless uh, record when it comes to foreign policy. Um, I seem to remember a, a while ago she um, voted against the uh, recognition of the Armenian genocide. And um, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think she also voted for some sanctions on Iran. 
Um, but I'd, I'd have to check that. I just have some kind of memory of that from a few years ago. Um, and yeah, I think you're this, right. This yeah. Um, and also this, this letter that was withdrawn after 48 hours, it reminded me of something slightly similar that happened over here when a group of Labour MPs signed their name onto a petition, or a letter uh, written by the Stop the War Coalition, which called out sort of Russia and NATO and called out brinkmanship on both sides. The difference is, is that that letter was on the, it was either a day or two days before the Russian invasion in February. So what happened was, was Russia invaded and uh, Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour, <coughs> excuse me, the leader of the Labour Party, um, he uh, threatened those MPs with disciplinary action if they didn't remove their names from the letter. And they removed their names because Russia had literally just invaded and, you know, they claimed that the letter had been overtaken by events. Um, so not quite the same thing as, uh, you know, what happened with the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus just recently, but it reminded me of that, um, sadly. Yeah, it, it's hard to take a stand in, in the liberal West and that reminds that Bernie Sanders also attacked the Congressional Progressives too for the letter, not for withdrawing it. He also said that the letter was wrong. So he also, the, the leader of the progressive movement in, in Congress, Bernie Sanders also threw the, the progressives under the bus, which is pretty amazing. Jeff, thank you. Yeah. And again, you know, and the point I should make, uh, which I should have earlier, is that um, all this ties back to Russiagate. You know, by buying into Russiagate, all these progressive Democrats have boxed themselves in into a position where dipo where diplomacy with Russia is criminalized because Russia is so demonized. And so any kind of effort to negotiate with it is seen as uh, traitorous, just w w which was the playbook that was used against Donald Trump. And by buying into that, progressive Democrats have put themselves in this position, as, as was as was warned about um, by a few of us back when it was happening. Okay, um, M. Can you hi there. Me, yes. Yeah, yeah. Hi there. Calling in from Ukraine. Uh, so yes, I just wanted, just wanted to add something about what Jeff asked. I think he is correct about the size of the Ukrainian military forces because I'm just looking up the legislative the legislative act from the 2014. The official amount of troops was actually lowered from uh, 120,000 people to 119,000 people with just 4,000 reservists. So definitely the official numbers of, you know, armed forces were a bit uh, larger than what Lev was talking about. Maybe he was talking about something else. And yeah, just wanted to say that I also really enjoyed your episodes with the Lev and, uh, you know, your hosting and Jimmy Dore. And if I can suggest, maybe you could also sometime do the Timcast show with Tim Paul because I know that they do live, live shows near New York somewhere in Washington. I think it will give a great boost to your audience. But yeah, I just wanted to say about the Lev Lincoln episode, uh, you know, all the points were very solid and I really like that he his stance on this war somewhat changed from his initial view. Uh, but I only had an issue with something he said about West supporting 
the tiny ultra-nationalist group in Ukraine. And um, I just think that maybe he's somewhat mistaken about the current uh, situation here in Ukraine, because uh, not many people are talking about how incredibly radicalized the population has become since the war started, because this tiny ultra-nationalist group has absolutely consumed a large chunk of population. And uh, a lot of apolitical and passive people have become extremely radicalized to a point where that they participate in fundraisers that are carried out by known murderers from Pravi sector, like Sternyanka, Sergei Sternyanka, who killed a person during a live stream a few years ago. And uh, he cut this man's stomach open and was live streaming it for thousands of people, you know, laughing at the person dying uh, on the ground. And uh, nowadays he's become the national hero. And uh, just not so long ago, during the Russia's attack on Ukraine, where they started to hit you know, the power grids. They started a fundraiser and raised about 100 million grievances or about that much. And the, the official wasn't was that they were collecting money for the revenge. And the whole revenge turned out to be, well, they purchased Ukrainian made drones for an insane amount of money. And obviously a lot of money was stolen, about 90%. But you know, these people just don't look at this and uh, they blindly support all the alternative agendas. They gladly talk about Bandera and etc. And yeah, so I think that we've lost a lot of, a lot of, possibilities for dialogue here in Ukraine. And just from what I see, yeah, there are a lot of NATO soldiers here in our cities, and I see a lot of foreign mercenaries in my city as well, uh, because I see, I just not so long ago, I saw a few black guys with military backpacks that have US printed on them. Obviously not someone from here, because all foreigners have left the country since the war started. Right. But yeah, so far so good, and thanks for everything you're doing. Well, uh, thank you, uh, thank you. It's, it's always great to hear from you. So thanks for calling, and, and uh, stay safe. Okay, um, Rachel, you should be able to speak now in the queue, though it's being a bit glitchy. So try to mute yourself if you're there. No. Okay, let's go to Sam. Yes. Hey, Aaron. Uh, nice to be on the show. Uh, really appreciate the work. I was uh, watching the Kucinich interview yesterday. Uh, I've kind of been talking about it in text already, if you've seen. But you know, I, I voted for him in 2004. Uh, kind of like after the way he was treated, I, I kind of started really questioning the support of Democrats. You know, from that point on, and. Uh, just rough to see him still kind of like playing the kind of like peacemaker at this point when it's like obvious he's Buddhist, he cares about peace. 
like he, he literally took time to talk about, well, let's not say anti-war, let's say pro-peace. I mean, that's so fucking infantile at this point. And like the idea that like a great kind of uh, idealist like him that's actually found a way into the American political system or like Bernie to present him as, you know, like that they're still playing this game and pretending that that there's some kind of way to like keep the dam together by sticking their little fingers in. It's just, it's not helping anyone. You know, it's just like, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have the same kind of cynicism? I mean, obviously you appreciate your cynicism. It's really good that he was on your show, but it's like, it was just so disheartening to just hear such a tepid kind of testimony. It's like, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll get off now because I'm just going to rant and bitch if I keep going, but I'd love to hear you talk about that a little more. No, I, I, you know, I, I took that as a small semantic uh, point and, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me, but I, you know, um, he's just saying he wants to be proactive and positive in, in the message and, you know, that's fine. I, I didn't uh, see it the way you did, but I, but I take your point. Um, and, uh, you know, I personally have no problem saying I'm anti-war. I, I think that's, I think that's totally fine, but uh, Hey, to each their own. All right, everybody, we're going to leave it there. Sorry for the technical problems today. I will tell the Colin people uh, to uh, try to address that. Uh, And thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.